All right, Chris. So you are the founder of Me Tokens. You basically allow anyone to issue their personal token. How I like to understand in my mind is that think about that smart kid in your classroom, and you really know, you believe that this person is going to do great things in future. What if you could own a piece of it? So that's how I like to think about personal tokens, but definitely correct me. And what you state on your website is personal tokens can be used to pay builders and creators for their work or to gain special access to their inbox and calendar. So there is a lot of utility associated with personal tokens. Let's talk about, uh, we can we can definitely talk about a lot about the applications, the things, but let's first get into the history of personal tokens. So how did you, uh, how did you actually came to know about this and as well as what has been done in the past? Sure. Um... So I first came across the idea of personal tokens when Tatiana Moroz was the first person to ever tokenize herself. This was back in 2014. She did it on the Bitcoin blockchain. There was a protocol called Counterparty. Um, so she was a recording artist and would release music, have concerts, things like that. And so she was close with the Let's Talk Bitcoin network for anyone who uh, still follows uh, that podcast. Um, Adam Levine uh, still hosts it. It's an awesome resource for anybody. Um, and so she had been on the podcast a number of times and worked with Adam to sort of come up with this idea of, uh, like, how could we have a token that sort of tracks her value as a recording artist or popularity or something like that. And it just made a lot of sense at that time. There weren't a lot of applications in web three, like we could really only build like colored coins on top of Bitcoin, some altcoin blockchains had come out. We had Litecoin and Primecoin and like really basic stuff, but there weren't dApps like we have today. So it made sense. The first thing to tokenize was artists, creators, anyone who sort of works in the public. Um, and this idea really excited me. So I instantly jumped on Counterparty. I registered at the time, uh, Christopher Coin. You know, namespaces were unique, so there's no other Christopher Coin except for mine out there on Counterparty. Um, but still, there wasn't like a huge audience to digest this stuff. Uh, and it wasn't until 2017 that I ended up jumping into working crypto full-time. I joined a lot of early ICO projects. So this is like, Ford was the one that I spent the most time with. And that was under the IMAP umbrella, which also included like Golem. I worked for uh, Golem Foundation for a little bit and Omisego, which later rebranded to OMG Network. And as we were sort of seeing the decline of the ICO boom, we were seeing a huge fallout of all these large projects that had raised tens of millions, or in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, they weren't hiring people anymore, but there were still tremendous builders who were still interested in getting into space. And this was sort of the start of the bear market. At the time, I was going out to a lot of these conferences, giving presentations, sort of working in the field and getting to know people. And I was blown away by how many independent builders there were because hmm. before the ICO boom, you had to join a single team to sort of be self-sustained in the ecosystem. And yet there were all these people who were kind of just sacrificing a lot, like career opportunities elsewhere to just work in the space that was really... Uh, not that fertile at the time. Uh, and so many of these people were incredibly tremendous builders. Like like you said, looking at a high school student, a classmate of yours, and seeing like, this person's obviously going to be successful. Like they're highly intelligent, they're career oriented, or they just think differently. They're extremely creative. Whatever it is about them, like when you spot people who you know are going to be successful, it's perfectly obvious. In fact, right. like uh, Naval Ravikant will talk about uh, how it's a lot easier to pick the founder that he wants to invest in rather than the company that they're founding as the what's going to return his investment. So that's why he'll stick with founders through a couple of different startups. I think that's really true. There's not really a way to get exposure to a single individual. Um, so I was looking at all these individuals. Some of them were like Austin Griffith, who now works at the Ethereum Foundation as like 
widely regarded as um, you know one of the best open source builders and leaders in the space. Uh, he really helps onboard a lot of a lot of folks to Web three for the first time. Um, and he had built the burner wallet, which got used at every single Ethereum event for like the next two years. He didn't make any money from that. He just built it because he saw this opportunity in wallet innovation. And I was like, holy smokes, this thing has so much value, way more value than a lot of what these ICO projects were able to turn out. Not necessarily the ones that I worked with, but like, you know, um, a, a lot of projects in the space, it was just like this giant contrast. And it really got me thinking like, why can't we take the same market exuberance that we have around, you know, at the time it was ICOs a couple of years ago, it was, you know, DeFi summer. So like governance tokens, um, maybe years after that, NFTs, why can't we take that same, uh, you know, excitement in the market and funding opportunities and place in the hands of individual builders who don't really need to join a single project to be productive. And I think that really inspired me to think a lot about what would happen if everybody had their own personal funding mechanism and self-sustaining economy? How could that translate for a betterment of the individual? And how could it translate for a betterment of the entire ecosystem if everyone could just move quickly uh, on their own I mean, and still work together and have like these coordination games and tools at their disposal? Um, but I think it would reduce a lot of friction for people, both in terms of achieving their personal goals and then, you know, for all of Ethereum in terms of uh, having more productive output. You know, Austin, for example, tried to join Gitcoin for a while. It wasn't a good fit. They're like, we love you as a builder, but uh, you want to build things that are going to be helpful to everybody. And we need employees who are going to build things specifically for Gitcoin. It was like a great attempt, but it just wasn't, you know, it was, it was the best shot at, at what they had at the time. And I think now, with a lot of lessons that we learned from DeFi Summer in terms of how we create better automated market makers, um, we can really start to produce personal tokens that have, you know, price value assurances or guarantees or at least verifications that make sure that these tokens aren't just vanilla ERC-20s that are just these plain things floating around. But actually, when you buy one, uh, you know that there's not going to be any sort of rug pull. There's, there's uh, price mechanisms in place to prevent that. And... Uh, that's really important for low liquidity tokens for someone who might just be starting their career. Like you said, a high school student isn't some influencer. An influencer can create a personal token, Kanye or whoever, I guess maybe, I don't know, not a good example right. these days, but he can create his token and sell it to anybody, you know, uh, or Lady Gaga, pick your celebrity. Um, what Web3 is really good for is picking a goal, designing incentives that can help achieve that goal in the most efficient or effective way possible, uh, and then letting it loose in the world. Um, and I think that's what personal tokens should be used for is people who have these goals and all this potential ahead of them and helping to accelerate the rate at which they can achieve those goals. And if you think about it from an investment standpoint, that's really a much better investment because they have all the potential ahead of them. And so I think that's sort of the sweet spot that, you know, we're thinking about and, and sort of my trajectory through, uh, you know, learning about personal tokens first with Tatiana Moroz and then kind of seeing how it's evolved and, and played a necessary role in the ecosystem. Right. Wow. So a couple of things come to my mind. First of all, thank you for investing $50 into my token, <laughs> my person token. Uh, I hope you million X your investment. That's number one. Uh, but yeah, I think the really interesting thing over here is that now, just like the, if you take the analogy of the high school or, or your classmate, instead of now being jealous, you are pushing, pushing things to get done. Instead of politics, power dynamics, you are pushing for who can actually do the thing and how can you support them to do that thing. So I think incentive structures are really important in the Web3 or in general in a decentralized ecosystem where there is no central authority, incentive structures work pretty well. And how do you align these, all the nodes in the decentralized, in the decentralized network to work efficiently together in a benevolent manner? Uh, that's, that's, that's all maybe personal token could help with. 
Yeah, 100%. We're already familiar with the principal agent problem when it comes to like finance. Um, if you hire someone to manage your finances for you, uh, you need to make sure that they have fiduciary responsibilities, meaning that, um, you know, they're not going to invest the money in their brother's uh, startup or something like that. They're going to invest it in a place where it's actually going to yield a good return. Um, there has to be an alignment of the principal that I provide and then the agent who's managing that money. It's a very similar thing with interpersonal relationships. Like you said, we have sort of jealousy of uh, others who are more successful. And so, you know, we don't actually provide them and expose them to the greatest opportunities because what's our exposure to that from like a financial point of view, for example, um, if that person succeeds, we're kind of just watching them. In this case, uh, there's now an opportunity to align interests where exactly what you said, we can now begin supporting people and align interests in a way that help give them the most exposure possible. Uh, and I think that is incredibly interesting. One way to frame it in sort of a futuristic setting is it's something like having a personal DAO. Everyone who is your token holder all of a sudden is like working together to sort of expose you to opportunities, provide introductions, give you reminders of how to like, you know, tighten up your game, whatever like your hustle is. Um, there, there have been people who've created me tokens that I've invested in them. The first thing I do is I start browsing through their wallet to see like, you know, what ecosystems are they working in? If they don't have an ENS domain, I usually buy an ENS domain for them and send it to them. Wow. It's like, hey, that's okay. a common part of just being exposed to the ecosystem. It costs me, you know, say $5 or something like that. But yeah. it's a huge benefit to them. And I'm invested in them now. So I want to see them succeed. Uh, right. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool change. So yeah, yeah. thanks for creating. I, I love I'm that. very excited yeah. to hold yours. Exactly. I love your onboarding strategy. Like we in product space, we like to call it the aha moment. Like what is that moment that actually makes you feel like, oh shit, I now understand the value of this product. And now I sort of care about this product for messaging. It's simply that, Hey, if you are able to type in a wallet address, send a message and then actually get a response, you will be like, oh shit, this is cool. Like I can now message from my wallet. And then when you actually look into a different app, and feel like, oh shit, I still can see my same messages. That's that's when you understand this composable messaging infrastructure. So for XMTP, that's what I've found. For me, tokens is simply the fact that when I created my personal token, I was like, yeah, just for fun. It's just to experiment things because we are in this experimentation phase. But then you came in and bought $50. And one of my team members, Nick, he came in and bought $50. And that made me realize that, oh, so this is how it works. And it sort of creates now attachment that, oh, now I, sh I need to make sure that uh, I, I don't need to make sure anything. But yeah, I, now I care about it. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's one, just to tease that, that aha moment apart a little bit. Um, that's one thing that we really wanted to do as we designed this version of a personal token protocol is when people buy your token, it should feel like an enhancement of connection rather than a debt creation. Um, the way, you know, we're not the first person or first uh, project to create a personal token protocol. Uh, but what we did do different is a lot of personal tokens get issued as like ICOs or sales where, you know, you sell off tokens and then you get all the funds up front. Um, and now you have this debt obligation to sort of fulfill requests with people who have this token. Um, with the experience that you had, it was just that new me tokens were minted, like yours were created. Now these people hold them. So there's not this like obligatory feeling where now you have to do something. It really is a little bit more relaxed where it's a set it and forget it. You know, you can kind of come back to it if you want. But really what it should be at the starting point is this enhancement of a relationship where you feel a greater connection. And for me, the folks that I've seen when, you know, they buy my me token, it feels like this person believes in me, like they, they support me. It's not just a follow because they want, you know, alpha or whatever. It's like they think that I'm going to do more than I'm doing now or they think I'm going to have an upward trajectory. It's it's a pretty empowering feeling that I would love to have more people feel. It's, it's really cool. That's so true. It's like, uh, I think I really, when you were mentioning about Nawal Ravikant and how he felt that, hey, I invest in founders, not the startup. 
instead of going the indirect route where you are not investing in the person itself you are investing in what the personal build, what the person is eventually going to build you are now going direct you are going direct and investing in the person and i was actually had some thought which i forgot but i think this is interesting that now you're investing directly into the person and okay the thought i remember the thought i had it's basically the fact that in previous podcasts we had a lot of founders and you're like hey how do you validate your hypotheses how do you validate this startup idea that you have and a couple of people were like hey you just go out and ask people that would you pay me if i actually make this product but still that's not direct you are still asking them if they would pay and maybe just to keep your keep the friendship keep the relationship they will say yes a level above that is be like hey i am building the startup do you believe in this if you believe in this can you donate me 10 dollars right now and that transaction really solidifies the intention that okay they believe in your idea rather than just saying that oh yeah we we believe in your idea and yeah if you make it we'll pay for it so i think that instant transaction really solidifies the relationship and it's not no it's no more talk yeah that's such a great point you know it's a really easy thing to maybe frame uh personal tokens or you know people creating a financial instrument around themselves is like somewhat dystopian however like the real benefit is exactly what you just described is even in our own personal lives it's very hard to distinguish the signal from the noise um and in this case when somebody is able to you know speak their mind in this way and put some financial weight behind it that's really what it does is it adds weight to a voice and helps define a signal in a really clear manner um and i think yeah like you said it doesn't have to be tens of thousands of dollars or anything crazy like that even like 10 uh is a very strong gesture of someone's opinion on something and if you open yourself up to an entire community of token holders who can all make 10 dollar votes or something like that that adds up pretty quickly and paints a very clear picture in terms of uh you know what might be a good path for you to pursue and that really is a helpful strat- like tool to have because like a very common conversation that we'll have in talking with people who haven't yet created a personal token and they're thinking about it is people very often make a joke like why would anyone want to buy my token or something like that like they think like i have no value to contribute and it's such an irony that more often than not it's other people in your life who are able to really see your value before you are like small mm. niches um that like are talents that you you just take for granted um they're just sort of so innately part of you that you don't think about them as something that you can like monetize or turn into a career or anything like that and uh so hope for this sort of token design and incentive alignment is that it'll help people become more aware of paths that they can pursue with a higher probability of success very interesting very interesting i believe or question do you think yeah. that we are going to be in this future where everybody has this discord channel of themselves which is going to be like okay chris dow everybody who believes in chris uh, being this discord channel like in the hashtag #general that's where you say hi hashtag #intros you do your intros and then hashtag #finance chris you put all the finance advice stuff like that like do you see this is the future uh yes i do because this week i just oh, wow. put together okay. my personal discord and uh i'm going to be cbobrobison.com is my url that i've had as my personal website but looking at my personal website it's not super interesting it's a lot of work to maintain uh most people don't really maintain their personal websites they kind of like make it once when they're really eager is like you know when they're building their resume or something like that and then it sits there for years at a time and, and you just don't really come back to it just keep renewing uh, the domain name <laughs> yeah 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 and it's to me it's like what's more dynamic than that just introduce people to a discord server where it's all these people who know you and you can jump in there and be like what's this person about you can ask other people questions you could even create a channel in there that you don't have access to for example so people can kind of like be more candid or something but then you can have token gated channels right with like collab land or something 
so people who hold your token can sort of be elevated in the conversation. Uh, so 100%, I think that's for sure the future. I think personal Discord servers or whatever tool you use to create this dynamic conversation uh, is a very reasonable replacement for personal websites. Uh, you know, you can have channels in there where you're posting all the things you're working on. You can set up bots to automatically post your Twitter uh, discussions. Um, I added a bot in there. I've been going really hard on uh, buying a bunch of NFTs, like in the Buffacorn community for East Denver. That's coming up in a few weeks here. Um, right. So I set up a 2.5 intelligence bot to post every time I'm trading NFTs, because you could imagine people would also want to buy someone's me token if they're a strong NFT collector, because that gives you leverage over buying their NFTs from them if you really like their collection. It's just like there's all these derivative markets that can take place. And if you have something like a Discord server set up, personal Discord server, um, you can really create all these dynamic games and coordination mechanisms that move way faster than building an entire product to service this one idea that you have. Um, it's way quicker to plug in Discord bots. And there's a ton of them that you can choose from. And they're a lot quicker to build as well. So yeah, to me, that I feel like that's a way to move a lot faster in terms of personal coordination. Very interesting. It totally makes sense. Discord has been able to build this system, this foundation, which is very dynamic, very interactive, where things just work. And there is a system to it. I believe, are you keeping it invite only uh, to make sure that only people who are holders can come in? Or are you also keeping it like, hey, you can view whatever view if you want to be part of Crystal? I'll probably, so there'll be a general landing channel hmm. where anyone can jump in and talk. Uh, right. I'll probably have a channel that's perfectly private to the CBOB holders. Um, but I think I will have a channel that CBOB holders can write to, but everyone can read from. So you can sort of see a preview of this club and the conversation that's taking place. Um, but for more tactical conversations where I'm really asking for feedback on, say, like a new Medium article or something like that that I'm writing and about to publish and I want feedback, that'll probably be more private. Um, you could think about that as akin to Patreon, right? There's stuff that is mm -hmm. posted on Patreon for free that anyone who wants to jump on the Patreon for the first time can sort of see as a preview. Um, but then there's the different tiers that folks can pay for to really get premium access to say a podcast a week before it gets released to everybody else or something. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a couple of people uh, in the concert space, NFT concert space, and they were talking about the same concept that, hey, uh, you claim your NFT, you claim your Pro app, and then what if we can drop you, we can keep dropping you unreleased music because you actually were present at the concert and you are a top fan. So again, interesting idea. 100%. There's a gentleman in our community, Jose, who will do live Discord concerts. Ooh, so live yeah. concerts. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. And what he'll do too, um, to help gain a larger following is in all of the web three communities that he already hangs out in, he helps organize some of the community calls and gets guests to come and talk at them. So he's helping to create a more active discord community for say like metagame He's part of metagame. He reached out to us and asked, would you be willing to speak to metagame about me tokens? So we jumped on there, we talked, and then at the end of the call, he closed the call with a song. He just opened up and started playing. And it was rad. It was just like totally blew my mind. Of course, this is this is more of how communities get structured these days. Back in the day, it was, you know, going to meetups and stuff like that. But, you know, meetups in person, they're wonderful. I, I love doing them. Um, but you are limited geographically just to the people who are around you. So having these more pop-up uh, calls and community events, um, especially where there's more casual feeling to it, doesn't feel like it's just strictly talking about business or marketing or networking, any of that stuff. Um, really is a fantastic way to expose people to like what your talents are, your personality, and just get to know people on a more personal level, which might translate to people buying your personal token or buying your NFTs or whatever that might be. Um, but again, it's just, it's this far more fluid communication tool that we have at our disposal now for getting to know people better. So interesting. 
So you are the founder of MeTokens. You are in the space. So you're definitely experimenting. You're trying to push your limits, push your imagination to what all things could be done. So you build this Discord channel, a new way to uh, a new way for how once you own a MeToken, what could you do with it? What are the other experiments and who are other people who are really experimenting in the space of person token? Like, what are you learning from them? Yeah, we have one artist, Skipper Gems, who we created a proof of concept a couple of years ago, and he was one of the first people to create a MeToken. Um, and he was doing really clever stuff with it at that time and is created a me token now with the newest release um, that uh, he's also doing awesome experiments. Back in the day, or I guess, what, two years ago, um, was when a lot of the liquidity mining incentives were in place. And so Rarible was, you know, NFT marketplace that was offering their Rarity token as liquidity mining reward for any artists who were selling their NFTs on Rarible. So he was earning a bunch of these Rarity coins and he was just distributing them to people who bought his me token. So it was sort of this way that I'm making money from my artwork. People who hold my token can buy my artwork, but I also want to yeah. share the rewards of when my artwork is purchased with everybody who's my token holder. It created this really cool feedback loop that got people excited. Um, and today he's yeah, yeah, entirely. And he's, uh, he's doing cool innovations and integrating with new NFT marketplaces today. So Niftyfy is one, it's a sort of like a white label NFT shop. Uh, he started selling his NFTs on Niftyfy and he's denominating the sale of his NFT and his me token. Uh, and he's showing other people how to do the same. So if anyone out there is interested in creating their own Niftyfy shop with their me token as the currency of exchange, Skipper is readily available to help out with that. Um, which is right. pretty cool. And that's one reason also to buy his me token, right? Because now he's creating this community uh, benefit where he's teaching others, he's curating uh, this ecosystem uh, and creating value, which I think is really exciting. Very interesting. I I just want to make sure I understand. So NiftyFi yeah. is basically where you can spin up your own NFT marketplace, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so you can have like an auction house or just set sales. Right, right. And now the only transaction mode is, or the, the currency is his me token. Yeah, for some of the sales of his NFTs, that's how he has it set up, um, okay. which is collateralized by Ether or DAI. In this case, his is collateralized by DAI. So it's really just a proxy for him to be able to cash out and get some DAI. But for everybody else, it becomes this instrument where they can sort of, you know, play this futures game uh, to mm. speculate on on the growth. But for him, he still gets paid in DAI. So it's sort of like uh, a, sort of a no brainer in terms of he's still getting paid the same, but it gives exposure to allow his message and community to grow with this new instrument. Right. So basically people would think that, hey, the only way you can buy this NFT is if you have his me token. So I need to first buy his me token and then I need to, only then I will be able to transact or purchase yeah. this NFT. Okay. Exactly. And Go another ahead. service he's offering for the community is every time someone creates their me token, he's creating a little card that says like, welcome to the ecosystem, new me token alert. And it has their profile picture, uh, their bio, their token symbol. It's uh, like a cool piece of art that if you wanted to, you could turn into your own NFT and distribute to people. Um, so he's doing that service for folks in the community as well. Okay, this is very interesting. Again, a, a really interesting idea or a correlation with the Web2 world. But first, I just want to make sure. So this is an artist, right? Yeah, it is. Wow. They are a really smart artist who just get got into the Web3 uh, ecosystem and are trying to implement things. But a really interesting idea is simply the fact that I think that there are some VCs who would, what they would do is just to get logos on their website and just to show that, hey, we were invested in Airbnb. They just invest random check right now in Airbnb and they then show on their website that, oh, we are investing in Airbnb, but they don't actually mention that what stage did they invest in this really successful company that everybody knows about. So yeah. doing this NFT thing, that's a really smart way for people to show that, hey, we were right about this person because we were the, we, we, we invested in this person when they were nobody or 
just just want to share like just this this right. example that they were nobody we invested when this person just created their me token and that's a way to show uh again a status game that hey we we joined before everybody yeah i think the status game is equally as important as the financial game right because you could say i made this investment in this person and it 100x or whatever that might be and i profited from it but in terms of like what the relationship looks like between the patron the supporter the fan and the creator or the builder whoever that person might be um that relationship can also be enhanced not just by the financial weight of somebody's holding but the duration of their holdings mm-hmm. like you said if they've been holding your token now for three four or five years you're really going to value their input because they've seen you grow over a long period of time in fact you might and probably would value their opinion more than someone who uh came in as a whale last week and bought a large denomination you, you'll listen to both of them but in terms of like the person who's followed you for a long time you might really value and trust their input that makes sense that totally makes sense this person believes in you and they are here for the long term yeah and they can do run an audience intelligence or in general portfolio intelligence or investor intelligence that okay who who has the most on our money so they can give me money advice who in my portfolio has been here for the longest term so i can actually share my beliefs my trust and know that these guys are going to be really they they're going to share valuable advice or stuff like that because they have been a long term holder so i think they can run this intelligence over their entire investors totally um something else that you were asking about was just like what are some other use cases in terms of how to use me tokens mm-hmm. in general one product that we're building i just shared with uh, Matt and Chain last night or the night before is uh we've built like a calendly clone uh mm-hmm. called calendly eth so people can now book time on your calendar if they hold your token and that can be token gated so i just have to hold your token in order to book that time it could be just open office hours um but it could be a paid event as well uh and this is really inspired i should give a shout out to micro sponsors it was a project when we did the original first proof of concept uh that was doing an auction house for people's calendar time uh and we integrated with them they integrated with us actually they added me tokens to micro sponsors uh, and we saw some cool experiments around that as well jake bruckman is a vc with coin fund uh he created his me token at that time and connected with micro sponsors and held an auction for people to jump on and pitch him on their startups or uh pick his brain about any investment thesis he might have had at the time um so yeah we're sharing also just to describe like you know these types of ecosystems are really for everybody not necessarily just like nft creators or um artists necessarily but also just people who are working in the space and and contributing tons of value the name is pretty cool kanandeet and yeah. it totally makes sense that now if you want to book time with this person if you want to even join an office hour you actually purchase the token first so basically you are not paying exactly for that event you are buying a stock uh in them yeah i would say so i think that's a fair way to describe it right right okay guys it's not a ticket price it's it's like a stock you buy yeah. it's it's yeah. more like a shareholder meeting like you buy a berkshire hathaway stock to be able to attend their big massive uh shareholder meeting that happens with warren buffett and charlie munger uh speaking for like one or two hours yeah i love that it's a great analogy uh and there there's a product too out there called uh, huddle 01 that allows you huddle to get conferences so you can have you know 100 people on the call that all hold your token so you could do a conference call like that we had found out huddle 01 two or three episodes before nice yeah it's a great product <laughs> it's cool yeah definitely it's it's really snappy i think that was that was a really good thing that hey they built this web3 product and it is snappy this is interesting yeah it does not feel like a web3 product at all exactly in that exactly. regard yeah. i'm i'm not really curious like 
I remember I was watching one of your talks on YouTube and you were basically diving deeper into the history, history of personal tokens, like, like 1800s, 1900s, when there were experiments, when there was this one guy who was trying to uh, pr propose that we should all have personal tokens and we should all have our own mode of currency. I would love to learn more about that. Like what is a couple of threads that you were, that really caught on with you? For sure. Um, so at the time that I was really starting to see all these independent builders, you know, working on their own and creating tons of value. And I was thinking a lot about how do we finance them? I started going down a rabbit hole of like, surely I can't be the only person who uh, has thought of like personal currencies. I had shared a white, the white paper that I had written at the time with some friends. And uh, one gentleman wrote back to me very quickly and shared a link to a video. It's like a documentary series called Money is Debt. In that video series, there's a section there that talks about personal currencies. It's like sort of just a one-off comment in a four and a half hour documentary. But it was a quote from this alternative monetary theorist named E.C. Regal. Uh, E.C. Regal, like the best way to position or like tell his story is he lived through the Great Depression and was mortified at the financial collapse in the U.S. Uh, you know, he saw an executive order signed for all U.S. citizens to hand their gold over to the government um, and was completely offended by the fact that money was no longer backed by any, any real asset. Um, and this really got him thinking about what's the source of the problem here. And he concluded the source of the problem is that we don't have a separation of money and state, which nowadays we sort of take that phrase for granted. Everybody talks about it. It was sort of the, the rally cry for Bitcoin when it first came out. Everyone said, this is our separation of money and state, but nobody really thinks about like where this came from or what was really meant by it when, when this person said it. So most people don't even know about EC Regal, but if you dive into his work, the idea that he had around non-political money, the separation of money and state, starts with something like uh, a separate currency like Bitcoin or Ether or anything like that. But the logical path that he follows doesn't end there. And that's sort of where the story continues that most people don't aren't familiar with. And that is that he felt very strongly that when we have this distributed currency, whatever that looks like, uh, it'll be a medium of exchange across different people. But really what it can be used for and what it should be used for is as a collateral to back individuals self-issued credit. So he came up with this whole system for creating a distributed exchange. He thought banks would go out of business when there's no longer a centralized currency. They would become relayers for this exchange. He was like, you know, he was writing these these essays in, in the 30s and 40s. So before there was a technological stack for this kind of thing, he was really, really seeing uh, something deep in the future. But um, what he really thought about is the core raw resource of all value creation in the world, whether that's for a good or a service or anything, that raw resource is human labor. That's what everything mm. comes from. And so why wouldn't we back the soundest form of money in labor? So of course he explored the idea of businesses creating their own currency. Uh, but the problem with businesses is that markets change. Businesses go out of business. They can no longer produce in certain environments. When that happens, the business just goes away. What still stays is all the people who worked at that business, their labor, is extremely flexible and dynamic and fluid. It can be repurposed for anything else. Uh, and that's why he felt very strongly that while businesses can create self-issued credit, people should be the one to really create self-issued credit. And then that would create the most sustainable form of an economy. One analogy that I like to give to really illustrate this is you can think about if the economy is this really precious thing, let's say it's a vase, like a glass vase, and you wanna make sure it's protected while moving around, right? You stick it in a box, you wouldn't just put one giant balloon in this box to ship that vase, right? If the balloon pops, that vase is going to shatter. What you do is you wrap it in bubble wrap. That giant balloon that you're sticking in there is like having one single 
fiat currency or one single financial system, more importantly, really to illustrate that. If there's any turmoil, like if the box gets shaken or something like that, it can affect that one financial system. And if that pops, it disturbs everybody. But if every single person is sort of creating their own financial system together and it's coordinated and it's fluid, uh, it really is like this distributed thing. If there's turbulence, some of the bubbles might pop, but most of them are going to stay intact. And there's going to be a general sense of stability and security in that economy. Um, so that's what EC Regal really talked about. Uh, and for anyone who's interested, like his essays are out there for free. Um, it's called The New Approach to Freedom, Separation of Money and State is the full title of the essays. Uh, PDFs are readily available. There's a few print copies in circulation. I like to collect rare books. I think it's a rare book that's worth picking up. People, uh, it's like 25 bucks or something like that on eight books. But uh, I think yeah. you mentioned that. I think you mentioned that there were very few copies of this book available and you bought one of them. Was it? Yeah. Is that true? Okay. It is. I, I bought two copies of the same book just to have a backup so I can read one and then keep <laughs> safe. <laughs> but, yeah. 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 One to mess up with all those highlighters and markers. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Very interesting. Uh, wow. I, I really like the concept of the core, you mentioned the core method of value creation or the core thing that creates value is basically human labor. And now instead of playing with derivatives, you are going direct, you are investing in human labor. Uh, that's very interesting. Huh. Where do we go yeah. from here? I just, uh, want to I just want to dive oh, deeper and read more about this person, EC Regal now. <laughs> Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. It's interesting too, because I think over the years, people have tried these experiments before, even before blockchain. Um, you and I talked a little bit before, I might've mentioned Mike Merrill was somebody who conducted the first human IPO. I think it was in 2007 or 2008. It was covered by uh, Business Insider, I think TechCrunch. Uh, so this was even before blockchain. He created a sort of like a stock for himself. He now works in the personal token space. Um, but it, it's interesting to see like this idea has been around for so long, like EC Regal, wrote these essays now almost a hundred years ago. Um, and since then we've seen people attempt to create their own personal form of money. So it seems very obvious that at some point there's gonna be a breakthrough where people are gonna have personal currencies um, to sort of create these coordination games. Like, you know, right now we have all these social media platforms that we use, you know, like you might have a Twitter and a YouTube, TikTok, and you might tie them all together to create a communication strategy with your audience. I really think the purpose of creating you know, personal tokens and NFTs and any other type of token that you start issuing, these self-issued assets um, are really out there to be plugged into each other and create a coordination strategy. Like you have a goal and now you're going to coordinate among all the people that uh, you just communicated with. So it, it seems somewhat inevitable in my opinion anyway. Yeah, like EC Regal thought about this, imagine about this before social media, before tech, before Web3, before everything, I, before cars, I don't know. Uh, but basically whenever he thought about this, like that's when the personal tokens started and then there have been many attempts. What have been people getting wrong about personal tokens in all these evolutions? And now that we have the right infrastructure, what is left to crack? What is left to figure out? Yeah. Um, I think the thing that we've gotten wrong so far about personal tokens is uh, it really does come down to the market assurances. So like we were discussing earlier, a lot of personal tokens up until this point have just been plain vanilla ERC-20s. Like it's just a token that you sell and then you say you're gonna redeem it for something. Um, the problem with that, of course, is when people are buying the token from you, you get all the money up front. Like there's not really an incentive to keep nurturing that token. And the token's also worth the same to you as it's worth to everybody else. So it's sort of like this meme token that when you earn it, 
you don't want to necessarily like hold it right away. You want to sell it to get paid pretty quickly. Not necessarily. Some people might hold it over the long run, but um, ultimately the only way to get paid is to sell at the same price as everybody else. Um, and I think the incentives that are aligned there are for a quick sale, a quick market excitement. Uh, but then the longevity, it, it dies out. There's not an incentive to keep nurturing that ecosystem or be part of it. Uh, the difference that we've made in our system is that the autom when you create your own meet token, you don't just get the ERC-20. You also get a whole automated market maker that comes with it that's purely customized for you. Um, and that'll evolve over time in terms of like how, like how it reacts to market conditions. Um, and you know we have like a DAO uh, that also helps provide input into that. But this automated market maker does something unique that no other automated market maker does, is it makes sure that your me token is always worth more to you than it's worth to everybody else. And when you have that incentive aligned in place, what it does is it creates an incentive for all of your holders to spend your token with you. Meaning like if mm. I hold your token, I could spend it with you for $150 worth of value. Mm. Meaning like if you cash it out, you get 150 die. But if I sell it to the open market, I only get $100 for it. So it skews the market and creates this asymmetry where holding that token isn't just a mean that you're working to prop up, but actually when people buy it, they know the intention of this token is everybody wants to spend it with you. They're not just buying it to sell back to the market. If they do that, there's this stability fee that's taken and redistributed to all the remaining token holders to further increase this market asymmetry where all of a sudden everybody who's a remaining token holder has increased leverage uh, to spend with that person. And I think that that uh, change in the market dynamics really means that when people are buying this token, they know um, it is going to be more closely tied with the productivity of that person because people are buying it to spend it with the person. If they sell it right away, they, they would actually lose money if they just bought it and, and then the next block, they sold it right back to the market. Uh, so it's it's a long-term play. And I think that's the biggest thing is creating longevity to personal tokens. Because what usually happens is maybe the average lifespan for a personal token really for market engagement is six months to a year, something like that. And we want this to be a tool that lasts with people for their entire career lifespan, whatever that looks like. So you have figured out both the sides. You have sort of figured out the problems that were on both the sides and you have solved for that. Uh, so on the buyer side, what used to happen is people would buy person tokens and then as the price goes up, they would just sell it. Instead, what you are trying to do is you are trying to introduce a stability fee that if you buy and then if you sell, you you don't actually get the entire amount you like based on the based on the automated market maker let's say if you bought it for hundred dollars if you purchase anything for the person itself like let's say you bought chris token and you purchase something from chris then you get it get a value of 150 but if you just sell it you get only hundred dollars so there's a direct loss over there and from the person who has the token from a chris perspective you basically don't give chris the money right away you put that in a fund so that he just doesn't cash out and be like all right guys this token is now let's go to the next token yeah exactly it's a lot more you know to illustrate the incentive structure it's more like a carrot on a stick rather than a ball and chain that's what happens when you create a debt-based token is you create this ball and chain that you always have to service mm. but if you have this carrot on a stick it's always something that you're working towards and i think that does balance the relationship quite nicely between the issuer and the patrons who are supporting that person very interesting i like the ball and chain uh analogy because when you buy someone's token they are not forced to do something because they don't have your money uh and or, or you don't have their money but you can work towards increasing the value if you're motivated enough and if you want to take this seriously 100 percent. and if you work to earn your personal token then it uh helps 
illustrate to everybody else that there's utility to the token, right? So it has this feedback loop where now people know what the utility of this token is, and you're only adding to the portfolio deeper in terms of why someone would want to invest in you, and maybe even hire you in the future as well. You know, you think about how much money people spend on NFTs. That NFT can't write a smart contract for you. They can't, uh, you know, do a UX audit of your website. They can't host you on their podcast. You know, if you could buy an NFT that did these amazing things that people do, people go nuts for it. You know, people talk about chat GPT right now. And it's like, how do we integrate that into NFTs? Because that can do some cool utility and like we can actually interact with it. It's like, we can already interact with people. Um, like that's already a far superior asset class. It's just that we haven't had the infrastructure to really, uh, to, to build out those payment rails and, uh, and do the AMM and like make it a streamlined approach. You know what I mean? Uh, so really building out like a lot of marketplaces and different utility use cases, I think is a lot of the work that has yet to be done. Uh, and that's what we're really excited about building. Very interesting. Can you talk about the fund, how the fund operates, where all the money goes? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you're talking about like when somebody buys your me token, if they buy Baga, uh, where yeah. that money goes and what happens with it. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So it goes into, uh, effectively like an escrow contract. Um, for the, currently the way that we have it set up is, uh, we have very basic vaults for the escrow. So if I buy your me token with die, the die is really just sitting there. Um, when I pay you in your me token, you can burn that me token and unlock some of the collateral from the vault. In the future, what we're really building out is, uh, DeFi compatibility with all the collateral in people's vaults. So if you choose, you can connect your vault to compound finance or urine finance, uh, rocket pool, if your collateral is ether, and you can start, uh, lending it out or staking it into these yield generating, uh, markets, right? So if you had say like a hundred thousand dollars staked on you, uh, as collateral in this vault, that's backing your me token. You could, as the creator, be passively earning, you know, for using, say, Rocket Pool, like 5%, five grand per year, just on the interest of everybody who's invested in you. Um, Got it. Yeah. And, and you can, you know, enable other sort of like DeFi applications as well, uh, like flash loans. You could open up your vault for flash loans as a way to earn more income. Um, right. It's really pr pretty composable in that regard. So if you have 100K in the escrow account, if people have bought that much amount of your me token if you have that much amount in the escrow account you cannot directly access it but what you can do it you can stake it and earn interest on it yeah you could and you can structure that agreement any way you want it you could say like you know 50 percent of the staking rewards goes directly to your wallet just as a way to sort of earn some passive income and the other 50 percent uh goes towards that the asymmetry in the market like the same place the stability go fee goes is sort of like to build this market asymmetry that skews the value of the token in your favor uh that additional interest could also be used to increase the value even further to skew it in your favor. So you're really demonstrating if you decide to do that to the community that you believe that people are going to want to spend your me token with you. Like you believe you're going to be creating even more value for the community. And as a gesture, you're offering them additional collateral and spending power, which is sort of like a boomerang, right? You throw it out there, but it's coming mm. right back to you. Very interesting. You are increasing the asymmetry, which means that now they're like, oh shit, I, instead of getting a 20% discount, I'm getting a 50% discount. Do I really want to lose this deal? Let me, let me go to H&M and buy because H&M is now giving 50% discount. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And I'm really curious of, so let's say, let's say I bought Chris token. I put in hundred dollars into Chris token. And now Chris says that, Hey, uh, I am, I am hosting this open office R and only my buyers can come in. What happens over there? How do I, 
how does the transaction take place? Let's say you are charging hundred bucks, hundred dollars worth of Chris token, and I have actually bought hundred dollars of Chris token. How would the transaction play out? Sure. Um, you can structure it in any way that you would feel comfortable. So for example, it might just be that when we book the meeting, uh, you send that hundred dollars worth of me tokens to my wallet for the meeting. It could also be that it goes to escrow. And then after the meeting, we can both sign escrow and confirm that we both attended the meeting. And in which case then the funds are released and go to me. Um, we could have like a third party act as sort of the escrow agent and sign. So someone we both trust could verify that we both attended the meeting and then the funds could be sent over. Um, you could probably build like uh, something that's more automated with the tool itself. So if we both like are on the call, uh, you know, whatever platform we're using for the call could verify that we both attended. Um, that's definitely a little bit more complex, but like obviously can't be done. Uh, so right. like, yeah, th those are all ways that, that you could structure that transaction. Interesting. And what happens to my stake or what happens to my stake in you now? Have I lost stake in Chris now? Like, do I need to buy more of Chris? Yeah. Well, again, that, that depends on whatever agreement we decide to put in place. If you're actually paying me for the event, uh, then it would be a payment that goes right to me, in which case you would no longer have that stake and you would need to buy more. So that'd be, that would be a paid event. But you could also do a token gated event where you just have to hold mm. the tokens and you're not actually paying me anything. It's just, I need to see from you that you have a certain threshold of uh, you know, engagement, whatever that looks like. So say $100. Right. Um, it could also be that you do have to stake that $100 into an escrow contract. And if you show up, you get your $100 back. If you fail to show up, uh, well, I just burned, you know, an hour on my calendar or something like that. So now you forfeit that money, those me tokens that were in escrow and they go to me. So it's, right. yeah, it really has to do with whatever, you know, peer to peer agreement we, we decide to, to come to. Got it. Got it. Because I'm just trying to understand this payment aspect because the stock mm -hmm. aspect really makes sense. It's just like a, a stock I'm investing in Chris. I believe Chris is going to do big things in future. Uh, and I believe that being part of this community, I can grow my value. I can grow Chris. I can grow Chris. And because of that, I can grow my value in the token. Uh, but the payment aspect is somewhere I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't exactly understand how it will, how, like what's the incentive over there? Because it's like, it's like buying a share of H&M mm -hmm. and using the share to purchase H&M clothes. Which means if I use the share to purchase H&M clothes, now I no longer have a share. I need to go and buy a new share. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, that, that's entirely correct. Uh, because what me tokens are sort of a proxy of is the market cap of the demand of that person's time, labor, and attention. So if that time, labor, and attention was captured in a transaction, then that money would sort of be spent towards that. In which case, if you have additional demand for my time, attention, or labor, then you would need to go out and purchase more of that me token. Of course, you could just like pay me and die directly. But if you're believing that there's a future forecast to the, my, like the growth of my time, attention, and labor, the value of that, um, then you would continue to go back and, and purchase the me token. Right. Would this be possible that I own the share of H&M and because of that, I get 50% discount Mm -hmm. And now I can use my normal cash to transact, not my actual share to transact. Like, would that be possible? Yeah, you can set that up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really like whatever agreement you wanted to put in place. Um, I would say that's sort of like an application that you could build on top of the base core protocol because the base core protocol sort of has this uh, this built-in discount creation where if you're spending me tokens with me, it's giving, it's paying me more. Uh, so, you know, I if I'm charging you know, the $150 for my service, you only pay $100. It's like you got a 33% discount. So that's sort of like built into the system. But if you wanted to add additional discounts or people are paying with other currencies, you could definitely do that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, I believe, uh, I believe like the, I remember the day I bought or I created my personal token, I created my me token that night, me and my roommates, we had a really good discussion around this entire concept. And yes, like there have been, like there have been scams before. So somewhere the thought process went there that, okay, there could be a lot of scams, but overall we came up with this thought that, okay, this is a space that needs, that needs a lot of improvement. And I believe that we, we will see in the next two to three years that, okay, there are going to be a lot of experiments and something mature is going to emerge. So I, I believe in that. I believe in that, that, okay, we are going to, we're going to emerge with a more mature solution and hopefully we can see everybody come on me tokens. I'm, I'm curious, like, what is the adoption? Like, is this something you could share? Sure. Um, the adoptions largely in communities that, uh, that we were close with, uh, sort of through the building process. So we worked with Raid Guild to create the initial proof of concept for MeTokens. It was actually the first raid for anyone who's familiar with that community. Um, we also received a grant from Medicartel. So a lot of the initial creators um, are from those communities. So they're people who have sort of been with us and been building this whole time. Um, so I'd say like, we really only went live about a month or two ago. Um, and so it's a lot of like friends and family at this point uh, who have been creating okay. tokens. Uh, yeah, that's that's been the biggest thing. but. Uh, yeah, we're starting to transition now from like a mindset of just building the core protocol and releasing it to sort of like the growth hacking and, and that type of thing. Uh, so, you know, jumping on into different Discord servers and having those conversations uh, has been a big part of that. But um, it's very organic at this time. And I'd say, uh, you know, a lot of the conversions that we're having are having sort of like the aha moments with spreading by word of mouth. Um, but yeah, still a very long way to go, I would say. Yeah. Definitely. I, I believe that just the fact that you are having these conversations, I, I watched the YouTube video, the recent talk that you did. I believe one of the community members just shared with me, we have become like good friends now. And he just shared the video with me uh, to learn about these mechanisms. I believe you guys call it bounding mechanisms. Uh, and oh, I was yeah. like, I wanna, yep. bonding mechanisms, not bounding, bonding mechanisms. Yeah. And I wanted to learn more about it. So they shared me this video and I learned about the history and like the current implementation, stuff like that. I think these kind of things build trust when the founder actually lays out that, okay, what is inspiration? What have, what are the, what are the things that have been done and what are we doing? And even this thinking deeply about the incentive structure, uh, I think that builds trust in the ecosystem. Yeah. You know, when we were limited to just, uh, you know, in real life meetups, People, I don't know how many people like remember this, but uh, what usually happened in the early days of Ethereum is if there was a new project that was coming out, that project would send, you know, if they had three founders or something like that, they would basically go on like a meetup tour, you know, in whatever country they were at. They would go from city to city and just like hang out at Ethereum meetups um, and chat with people and have a beer. Uh, it was like extremely casual, built trust, and it was a really fast way to weed out who was serious about their project, uh, who was really thinking about this deeply. Um, and not to say that we've lost that, but it's, you know, just uh, communications changed a little bit since then. So, you know, I, I agree definitely in terms of, you know, having conversations like this, I think is, is a good way to sort of make up for what we can no longer do, like what, you know, used to take place. Um, this is sort of like the new medium for that. Uh, and it's impactful when people get to speak their mind in a community and sort of say any question that comes to mind as crazy as it might be. That's really where uh, you start to, learn about the nitty gritty details and, and figure out, you know, what, what's a legitimate project and what's going to have um, a long lifespan to it. Uh, I, I just think those are invaluable conversations that uh, the more people engage in them from the founder point of view, the better, you know, um, the, the, 
I don't know, the more like valid the project is. But I think, you know, it's even more important for the community's perspective to like be able to engage in those conversations and, uh, and make those connections. And for anyone new entering the space, um, it's a great way to get oriented too. Makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm really curious. What is the future of CBOP token? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, my, uh, my greatest skill set in the space, I think is, has a lot to do with the token engineering stuff. I was very humbled to be able to jump into the token engineering labs, um, community a couple of weeks ago and give that talk. Uh, and you know, that's generally when I exchange work with other projects, that's usually what I am able to offer. Like that's, that's my highest value proposition, I think. And also what, uh, what, um, I enjoy doing. Um, so the more that I can engage in that, that would be like my dream is if I can sort of engage in doing that on a more frequent basis, I would really feel like I'm moving the needle forward in the whole ecosystem by like designing really robust crypto economics for more projects that, you know, have their skill set more heavily invested in community building or um, marketing or just finding even product market fit, but like, you know, really hashing out what the crypto economics are to make sure that the project has the longest lifespan to it. Uh, I would love to sort of make that, um, you know, a full-time job if working on me tokens wasn't a full-time job. But if I can supplement that and sort of like add it in, uh, that's what I would love to do. In terms of like utility and stuff like that, every single tool that we have available, I'm dogfooding. So obviously we have in the private Discord. Uh, using Huddle01, um, uh, using Calendly when that's released. Um, yeah, just uh, trying to play with as much as possible. That's really interesting. Uh, it totally makes sense that you are deeply thinking about how to, the not only the future of me tokens, but also the future of your own me token. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to host Calendly with you and my colleague because you guys are the only, uh, my only token holder of Bugga. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, after this, you might have uh, hopefully a couple more, right? Many more, hopefully not a couple, couple more. more, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Chris, this was a great conversation. Do you think we missed something that we should have talked about? Um, I, I don't think so. I feel pretty good about it. I mean, uh, the only thing that I want to circle back on just in case is, uh, did you feel like I was able to provide clarity around the question of payments? Did I feel like, I, do you feel like I answered your question properly or sufficiently? And if, like, if not, that's totally fine. I, I, I could dive into that in a different way or try and frame it better. I think I would love yeah. to dive into that in okay. a different way. So what I try to do is make sure that the moment we get into these complicated, like the moment we try to uh, jumble all these complicated terms together, like yield generation, escrow, yeah. uh, all this stuff together, everybody mm -hmm. just switches out. Like everybody's mind just switches out. So I want right. to make sure that I put that in a simple language. So that's the reason I was like, okay, so this is like going to H&M and uh, because you hold the H&M share, you get 50% discount. So it makes more sense. And from a payment perspective that we were talking about that using payment, uh, I wanted to bring an analogy that, okay, it's like saying that you buy a share of H&M and now instead of paying cash, you are paying via your H&M share. So that's what we're talking about. So if we can make it simpler, I think that would be super helpful. Uh, explaining the concept uh, of why why it makes sense to pay via your me token. Okay. That, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess at one point of clarification, when you're talking about the H&M example, are you interested in driving more towards the application of still holding like the H&M stock and being able to spend normal currency? Like, like was there a, yeah. So in my mind, that would make more sense uh, because that's also the traditional thing. But I would love to know, like, because you might have thought deeply about incentive structure, how that would be much helpful from an incentive perspective. Yeah. Um, let me see, it, would, would this be a helpful way to explain it? So 
one thing that the the whole me tokens like amm system protocol provides is when you go to actually pay like when you walk up to the registry you can pay in your normal currency and what is done at the registry automatically for you is it will trade it for hmm stock and then give you the discount so you can still pay like for example uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So this okay. is this is exactly what in my mind makes sense. Like instead of paying why am I HM share to get the discount? Because I own the HM share, I deserve right. a discount. I will just pay from normal currency and get the discount. And I will just show you that yeah, I own an HM share. Okay. Um one thing to clarify is in that process you wouldn't actually even need to hold the HMM share okay. uh to get the discount. Like the the discount kind of happens for you. So even if like you if even if you weren't an H HM stakeholder. Uh, or shareholder. If you went to the store, you would be a patron of H&M. So when you go to pay for it, you would be able to leverage sort of like how the stock is functioning, like the the current market conditions of the stock to earn a discount. Um, one, th this is like, maybe we can, uh, would it be useful to like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think like, because I haven't actually tried to give this explanation, um, but uh, so it might be like a little bit rough. But the the way that this it, it's very similar to a stock, like a me token, but really what it's doing is it's measuring market demand. So when there's a massive sell-off of your me token, the price of the me token goes down. But that stability fee is sort of taken as a penalty for other people selling your token. They're saying like, oh, these people they don't believe in you, uh, so they get penalized for it. Right now, the system has a twenty percent penalty. It's actually quite significant. Because the upside is also quite significant with with this bonding curve mechanism, like you mentioned. But um, this twenty percent, when somebody sells, gets redistributed to everybody else who holds the token. The way that that translates, and the way to really think about it, is the demand for your labor just decreased. People just sold your token. So what the AMM is doing is it's automatically saying, "Hey, the demand for your labor is decreasing. We need to create a discount for your labor to help stimulate more spending to bring people into the store." If this is H and M, you know, and this is what H and M does already is they hire a whole business operations team to think about like, what seasonality are we in? Is this going to be our Black Friday sales? Is this going to be our, uh, you know, start of the new year sales? Is this the back to school sale? It's like all these seasonal things that's saying, you know, normally spending is down because during go, going back to school, everyone's spending money on all of the school supplies. So we have to start giving a discount so people come see us. Um, so this business operations team is figuring out like, you know, what the price volatility is um, or the, the market tolerance of customers, whatever, and they figure out like, okay, this is the discount that we should give where we still are going to break even at this time. Um, this AMM is sort of like replacing that biz ops team for you. So it automatically tells you, hey, the demand for your market, for your labor, whatever just decreased. So we're introducing this discount. So that way people are incentivized to come to you and spend some money. So when you go to spend at the store, you don't actually need to hold the me token necessarily. Um, of course you could, but even right now we have it set up so that way. Someone can just send some die to the AMM and then the me tokens get sent straight to you. So you get paid at the higher rate and then they get the discount right out the gate. They don't even have to touch me tokens. They don't have to know anything about me tokens. You could totally set up an interface where you just get paid and people are getting discounts. And then that discount is just sort of like automatically changing uh, on your personal Etsy shop or whatever that looks like. Um, so that, that, yeah, that's more of like what the mechanism really provides. Like saying it's a stock is, is very useful, I think for communication, mm. but um, it, it's sort of like, we call it an automated discount market maker is sort of like the brand of AMM that this is, because there's lots of different AMMs, like Uniswap has the constant product market maker. Uh, what MeTokens has is is an automated discount market maker. So it's automatically creating discounts when the demand for your labor decreases to help like kick into gear this flywheel of like people buying your token, spending it with you, 
seeing that you demonstrate value and then creating more demand for your time, attention, and labor. And then it just kind of keeps restarting. But if for any reason you sort of fall out of that flywheel, uh, then this automated discount market maker kicks in, creates a discount for your time, attention, and labor. People come back to you, they spend, and then there's another opportunity to demonstrate your value to your community. And then hopefully it creates more demand for your labor and that restarts it. This flywheel makes a lot of sense because I think I saw this flywheel in your talk uh, with Token Engineering Labs and it totally makes sense. This totally makes sense. I, I'm really curious about the process where you mentioned that you don't even have to uh, own a me token. You can directly transact uh, with DAI and mm -hmm. the person will receive a me token. So that will be based on the current value of me token. I just want to make sure I understand that aspect. Yeah, that's correct. It would be based on the current value of the me token. So if, uh, if you wanted to spend hundred dollars with me, Mm -hmm. uh, you would send me the 100 ETH through me tokens. Um, that 100, did, or did I say 100 ETH, 100 die? Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah okay. it's okay. 100 die, okay. I get it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So if if you uh, if you paid me 100 die and uh, Chris, by the way, through, yeah, Chris, sorry, by the way, if you have 100 ETH, just forget about all this stuff. Podcast, just go and enjoy in Bali. But anyways, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, if uh, okay, we'll, we'll switch it around. That if I sent you 100 ETH. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um okay so if, 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 you, if you sent me 100 die uh yeah and you sent it through me tokens it would automatically buy 100 die worth of my me token i would receive that 100 die worth of me token in my wallet i could set up a contract that automatically burns that for me and i would get 150 dollars from the escrow account from the escrow account uh and that extra that 50 dollar delta would come from any of the stability fees that are happening and any of the additional yield that's being incurred through DeFi. So that's where you get that market asymmetry. So you're exactly. only spending a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. You're mm -hmm. only spending a hundred dollars with me, but I'm receiving 150. So I can say, Hey, my services cost 150 bucks. And you can walk up and be like on his website, it says I get a 33% discount right now. All I have to do is send my die through me tokens. Mm. I get paid 150 bucks. You only have to spend a hundred. So it really creates this no brainer incentive to just send the 100 die through me tokens. Why would you send 150 die to me directly to pay me for $150 worth of service if you automatically get this, this discount for using me tokens? And then for everybody else mm -hmm. who's maybe, they might not even care about um, you know, hiring me or spending money with me. They might just be pure market speculators and they're sort of like the LP providers in this market. And they're the ones who are saying like the demand's increasing or decreasing and uh, it's in their day trading that this uh, stability fee is incurred where this asymmetry is being provided. And then that's how you get your discount. Um, is really from the speculators because at the end of the day, like everyone says, how do we get rid of speculators and only create, you know, utilitarian users? And it's like, I don't think we can get rid of the speculators. What we should just do is leverage their skill set, which is providing liquidity. And so then we should take that liquidity and help put it towards the utility. It's just like, it's, it's not taking it. I guess you could argue it's kind of like taking a tax. Um, but I, you know, every token has some sort of like utility or goal that it's working towards. And in this case, it's a personal token. So it should really be working to you. So if there's a tax, uh, you know, it should be focused on making sure, not that you just get paid for doing nothing, but that that tax goes towards helping subsidize the financial agreements that you come to, like being hired. Like it's really there to subsidize people who are spending money with you, which is what you want. You want these interpersonal relationships. You want these opportunities. You want growth in your career. Like money's great, but even if you have a shit ton of money and you're just hanging out by yourself, that's a pretty lame existence. Um, so like continue to have like market engagement, I think is, is very important for everybody. Um, so basically, even though you have 100 ETH, don't go to Bali, have a purpose, do something big. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have 100 ETH, stick around and help build more, bring other people up, invest in their me tokens, all that stuff. Great. Great. Uh, 
okay this makes a lot of sense now thank you so much for coming uh coming back to this point and helping understand this i think this makes a lot of sense now cool yeah i i didn't feel like uh like it connected the first time and i was kind of trying to power through like the pace of you know podcasting but uh, I'm, I'm glad we came back to it and thanks for um also being uh trying to drill into that that point further as well definitely all right thank you so much chris i'm excited for my token to grow your token to grow and the community to grow thank you really enjoyed this uh yeah, thanks for Sean.